Welcome to the Rolling Hills Community Church Sermon Podcast. This summer, we're walking through the book of Romans, taking a master class from the rich and powerful book of the New Testament. Romans is one of the greatest books of the Bible. It is the essence of the gospel and provides the rich doctrine of our faith. Romans was written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Rome, and God has used it to change the hearts of men and ultimately the world. In Romans, we see the impact of our sin, which reveals our deep need for God, and then the importance of living out our faith in Jesus today. Whether a lifelong student of the Bible to a first-time believer, this is a masterclass for everyone. Let's listen in. Well, good morning, Rolling Hills. My name is Mike Minter, and I'm one of the teaching pastors here. I'm also the pastor of Primetime, which is for those that are 60 and over, though we do have a few stowaways. Uh, But you're welcome. We meet at this hour at 9.30, but uh, great, great time and a great group. I want you to take your Bibles, if you would please, and turn to Romans chapter 10. I'm sure many of you are watching online, and those that are here today, we have a very, very important and intense message to look at. We're going to look at one particular word. We're going to give you an overview of the chapter. We're going to zero in on one word, and that one word and your understanding of that word will determine where you're going to spend eternity. So this is an important message. You don't let any text messages or anything come across that will bother you and distract you. Satan cannot read your mind, but he can cause some stir when he wants you not to understand or see something. Um, As you know, when we're going through the book of Romans... It's a very, very complex book. Uh, I read about a pastor one time that took, I think it was 10 or 12 years to go through the book. He spent about 500 messages. The only problem with that is when he was finished, most of his congregation had died. So they didn't know how things worked out. So we're we're not doing that. We're, We're given kind of a big flyover, which means that we cannot go verse by verse. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to give you a sweeping view. Then we're going to zero in on one major point in this particular text in Romans chapter 10. It's an incredible book, and that's going to be my approach this morning, is to zero in on just one major point, but giving you an overview of what this is all about. Uh, There are three types of people that are online, and three types of people that are here over the three services. And here they are. Those that are believers, and you know you're a believer. We're going to even secure that more today. There are those that know you are not a believer, but you're kicking the tires on Christianity. Maybe somebody invited you today, you're watching online, you're just kind of checking things out. That's great. But the danger group, those that are certain you're a believer, but you're not a believer. And we're going to take a test this morning to see whether we are believers. It's not a difficult test, pretty easy test. And it has nothing to do with the percentage of your goodness or anything like that. We'll get to that in a moment. But I know from having pastored many years back home and having been here and just knowing people, just in my experience in life, I know people that profess the name of Christ, but there is zero evidence of that profession. Zero. And we're going to find out what that looks like today. It's not an objective test like a math test but it's a very reliable test, and we can find it in Scripture. So not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, Jesus said, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those that do 
the will of my Father. Now that'll shake some of you up. I thought I didn't have to do anything. I thought it was a free gift. It is. You don't get well to go to the hospital. You go to the hospital to get well. You don't get better to get saved. You get saved to get better. If you are in the kingdom, you will do the will of the Father. Not perfectly, but you will be on a trajectory to follow him. It's impossible to be conformed to the image of Christ and not follow Christ, certainly to some degree. Because you're only going to hear one of two things when you step into eternity and face the final judge, and that is, well done, thou good and faithful servant, or depart from me, you who work iniquity, I never knew you. You want to hear the former, not the latter. And this is a serious matter today, and so we're going to take a look at the first few verses of Romans, and I'll give you kind of an overview, and then we'll dive in. Let's read the first four verses, and then we'll move forward. Here's what we read. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for the Israelites is that they may be saved. For I can testify about them that they are zealous for God, but their zeal is not based on knowledge, since they did not know the righteousness that comes from God and sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not just submit to God's righteousness. Christ is the end of the law of righteousness to all those who believe. Father, thank you for this time. And I pray that you would open our eyes, that we'd behold wondrous things out of your law. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me give you kind of the sweeping overview. The Apostle Paul is uh, very concerned about Jew and Gentile and understanding uh, the plan of salvation or understanding what salvation is about. And so as he's talking here, he says, um, the Jews understand and have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. They don't understand that salvation is a gift. They don't understand that righteousness is in Christ, and that's placed to your account when you believe. But they're trying, they're trying to keep the law. And the problem with the law is the law tells you where you should be and condemns your every attempt to get there. No one can keep the law. And yet so many religious groups even today think that if I just live a certain type of life, if just good to a certain point, I'm sure God will let me in. The problem is, what's the grading scale? What's the cutoff point? That's the problem with that. And then he sweeps in, in this chapter, he sweeps into this whole idea of missions, which is one thing I love about this church. We're involved in missions. That's where Jeff is right now. He's on a mission trip, and you can pray for him. Because he says, a little part, a little bit later on, he says, how are they going to call on him in whom they've never heard? How are they going to hear unless there's a preacher? How are they going to believe unless one is sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring the gospel of peace. That's quoted out of Isaiah. How beautiful are Jeff's feet as he's going to places to teach the good news. And I've traveled with Jeff many, many times to many different places. So this is a sweeping message about salvation. It's a sweeping message about missions. It's a sweeping message about another subject matter that we want to zero in on. And this is the key here. Because this word and an understanding of this one particular word will determine your eternal destiny. And I've already mentioned the three types of people. And you're going to find out where you fit in this. We read in a little bit further down. We read in verse 8. It says this. 
But what does it say? The word is near you, it is in your mouth and in your heart. That is, the word of faith we are to proclaim. That if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that God has raised him the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, and it is with your mouth you confess and are saved. It's the word Lord. The word Lord. We just heard, we just watched a couple of baptisms, and the person doing the baptizing said, Have you received Christ as your Lord and Savior? Many people make false professions, sometimes when they're very young and don't fully understand. Many certainly do, and I trust they do here in these situations. But many think that they're coming to Christ to get well or to get a new car, to have a happy life, and they make false professions. But the key here is this word Lord. The word Lord here means sovereign ruler in control of all. It used to be Caesar was Lord, but Christians couldn't say that. That's why many of them died. They wouldn't say Caesar was Lord, Christ is Lord. He is the sovereign creator, ruler. And those that have professed faith in Christ have yielded to his lordship, not perfectly. Not perfectly, but it's still there. And there is a change that takes place in our lives. Our Christian life is not flatlined. It usually goes something like this. There's some sort of a trajectory that shows some kind of change in heart for the things of God. And there's a passage in 2 Corinthians that says this. It says, examine yourselves to see if you're in the faith. Don't you know that Jesus Christ is indwelling you? Meaning, don't you understand? And, there, and since it says examine yourself, I assume there must be an exam. I've never found it on any one verse or one page. It sweeps through the scriptures by looking at people that are true believers and what their lives look like. The change in their lives. The direction of their lives the desire in their lives, the passion in their lives, all different, all different. Some take off like a rocket, some not quite as fast, but they do take off. They are launched. Something takes place. And so we consider this, and we're looking at this whole text here, and it's talking about the subject matter of, of confessing that Christ is Lord, that he is the sovereign ruler. Now, I'm going to give, we're going to take the test here in just a moment, and I'm going to give some rules or guidelines in taking the test. We are not looking at a percentage. Oh, I, I think I'm only 5% in that area. I must not be a believer. I'm not here to cause anybody who is truly a believer to doubt your salvation. But I am here for those that do doubt their salvation or think they're saved that aren't, that can't pass the test. And for those of you that do know that you're saved, I want it even more secure because I know the enemy loves to cause people to question whether they're in the faith. Yea, hath God said. He loves to do that. So this is really important. So we're not looking at, at some sort of perfection. We're looking at direction. We're not looking at some sort of a percent, but an intent. Paul says, everyone who confesses that Jesus is Lord, must turn 
from wickedness. Second Timothy says that. Every person that confesses the Lord must turn from wickedness. Will you turn from it perfectly? No. And God even says that. Whoever says they haven't sinned is a liar and the truth isn't in them, 1 John tells us. But there is some understanding, there is some growth, there is some maturity that takes place. And we want to take a look and see what that maturity actually looks like. So with that in mind, I want to uh, state two things. These are two theological terms that I used to say to our church back home, if I bump into you in the grocery store, I'm going to ask you if you know these because I beat it to death for many, many years. The first one is justification. When you put your faith in Christ, you are justified. You are declared righteous. Not your righteousness, His righteousness that's placed to your account. Justification. If you are justified, you will then be sanctified. Sanctified is maturing. It's growth. Some faster than others. That's why we can't make any comparisons. But there is some type of growth. Justification demands some kind of sanctification. Now, I also want to say this. Every Christian is capable of falling into sin. You know that. I know that. All right? Every single Christian can actually become addicted to sin, but they know it and they're fighting it. There's a battle going on that's mentioned in, in Galatians chapter 5, the spirit working against the flesh and this, this battle. But you cannot be a true follower and in the kingdom of Jesus Christ if you practice sin. Whosoever is born of God does not practice sin, First John tells us. Practicing sin is, hey, it's Friday night, let's go out and get drunk. That's practicing sin. That's an indication you are not in the kingdom because there's not even any percentage there. There's nothing to even grade. You're going in a completely different direction. All those that confess the name of Christ must depart from iniquity, all right? Percentage isn't the issue. So, this test on whether or not you have truly entered into the kingdom of God is this. And I've, I've taken these from different portions of Scripture. Number one, I think this is key. Is there a manifest desire to grow in Christ? Is there a manifest desire to want to know His Word? Is there a manifest desire to fellowship with believers? Is there a manifest desire to want to pray. As difficult as some of those things are, if you are born again, there is a built-in desire. Where do I get that from? Psalm 42.1. The psalmist says, as the deer pants after the water brook, so my soul thirsts after thee, O God. Strong. He's saying that his soul, a believing soul, thirsts. And this is a psalm of David, and, saw, and David failed in every way you can possibly think of. But he still had a heart for God, which was an indication that he was in the kingdom. He was a man after God's own heart. Does your soul thirst after God? Not talking about percentage, but something. Something that shows that you are, in fact, 
alive. Here's a second one. Repentance. When a person becomes a believer, his awareness of sin is heightened. It is heightened because the Holy Spirit indwells you. And according to Romans chapter 9, verse 1, there's the Spirit and your conscience sort of working together. Your conscience becomes more heightened by sin. There are certain things that bother you more. And repentance is a change of mind. I shouldn't be going in that direction. I shouldn't be doing that. I repent. I change my mind towards that type of activity. I'm not going to go out on Friday nights and just get drunk. I begin to realize now that I'm a new creation, things must change. Psalm 32, David says, Blessed is the man to whom the Lord does not put anything to his account. But when I held my sin and didn't confess it, I felt like my bones were rotting. And in Psalm 51, he repents and he goes through these, this deep repentance. It's, it's a whole message in itself. It's many messages in itself where you see David's hunger to be right with God. Here's another one. The Bible says we pass from death unto life. John 5, 24. When a person believes they pass from death unto life, there can be no life that you've passed into if there is no, if there is no uh, fruit of the Spirit in that life. You, you have to demonstrate something in that life if you have passed from death unto life. There have to be signs of life. You know, when a person has passed out someplace and they, they just can't quite get a pulse, they'll often put a mirror or something under their nose to see if there's any moisture. Is there any spiritual moisture that is being breathed out in your life? Any, not percentage, but something that indicates you're alive. Because the scriptures also tell us in this, it tells us that in 1 John 5, 13, he that has the Son has life. And he that does not have the Son does not have life. Do you have the Son? Do you have life? Signs of life, a desire, something, a passion, something that indicates you're on a, a new trajectory. Even if you came to know the Lord very early in life, like some of these young people being baptized. And my son came to know the Lord at the age of seven. He called me into his room. He said, Dad, I've heard, heard the word here, and I, I really want to come to Christ. I said, do you admit the fact that you've sinned? He said, I sure have. I said, you sure have. And I made sure that he understood it. I said, matter of fact, you've done a very good job of sinning. So at any rate, uh, <clears throat> but he understood what, what was happening. He understood what was going on, all right? And so you really can't have life if there's no measure of that life. There's a sign of life. Here's another one. You're passed from darkness unto light. The book of Colossians chapter 1 talks about that. If you have passed from darkness unto light, if you've left the kingdom of darkness and entered into the kingdom of God's dear Son, there's going to be some kind of a reflection of that light. Don't worry about the percentage, but something I don't care if it's just a glow worm, something. I've known people that profess Christ, I see zero. And, I'm, and I've even told people, I said, I can't tell you whether you're a believer or not. I just have no reason to believe that you are. I don't see anything that indicates 
that you have life. I don't, I don't see it. And so I would encourage you to re-examine your own heart and your own soul. Here's another one that you're well familiar with in 2 Corinthians 5, 17. All things pass away. Behold, all things become new. <clears throat> all things become new. What is it that is new? What, it, what are these all things that become new? It's every single area of your life, your ethics, your morals, your thoughts, your direction, the narrative of your life. All things become new. Are they becoming new perfectly? No, because you've you got a battle. You still have the flesh <clears throat> that you're working through in this life. You're still struggling. We all do. Every day we go through it. But there are new things. There's a new life, a new direction, a new passion, a new desire. Something is measurable that is there. And too many people don't have anything to measure. There's no life at all. The Bible actually goes on in 2 Corinthians where it talks about um, that we have a fragrance that goes out to people to actually, not an odor, a fragrance that goes out, all right? That the world begins to recognize there is something different. My son, he has a boss, and um, they do a lot of cursing in the office. And every time she curses, she apologizes to my son. He's never once said anything to her. She just knows he's the only one that doesn't talk like that. And he goes, you don't have to apologize. But he, she keeps apologizing every time she curses or anybody else does. And, but that's that fragrance, I think, that, it, that is out there. And I think that's important that we, that we have that. Here's another one. The indwelling power of the Holy Spirit. The book of Ephesians says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That he's a, a down payment, literally, for our salvation. If there is no sign of the Spirit, how can the Spirit of the living God be in somebody and there is no significant change. I'm not talking about just a basic moral or ethical change that the world is perfectly capable of doing. There are moral and ethical people in the world. <coughs> but this is driven by the Spirit of God. There's an illumination. There is something different about it. And this is why we are to be the salt and the light in this world. Salt because the world is decaying. Light because the world is in darkness. And that's what the church is for. I love it here because I love Jeff's heart for missions and for going out into all the world and spreading that, that very good news. The Spirit of God energizes us. The Spirit of God is an instructor and teaches us the things of Him and the things of God. You, it is impossible to have the, the power of the Holy Spirit and not have any change. The next one is this. If you have eternal life, you will develop an eternal perspective, particularly the older you get. That's why when I preach, I'm a little bit of a curmudgeon, all right? You know, I, I just am aware there's not a whole lot of time left. I got some hard things I want to say. And I just want to let you know that for God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life, eternal life. How can you have eternal life and not have some kind of an eternal perspective? I don't think that's even possible. No eternal perspective. I don't think there's any eternal life. But again, not percentage, just something that is there. 
The Bible says our citizenship is in heaven, from which we look for our coming Savior. Our citizenship is in heaven. You can actually say to somebody when they say to you, where are you from? Heaven. Heaven? Yeah. My citizenship is in heaven. I'm just passing through here. Isn't it amazing? We're from a place we've never been. We're citizens of a place we have never been. And yet the scriptures describe this in many different places and allow us to have some sort of a longing for heaven. And I think that's it's so important that we understand that. Here's another one. This is a big one. As I'm looking just through scripture and sort of going through all this, uh, it says in Hebrews 11, verse 10, Abraham was looking for a city whose foundation and maker is God. And then down in verse 13, it says, These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims and sojourners in this world. That's what the new birth does. Do we still love the world to some degree? Yes, we do. We go to the mall, mall, oh, I wish I owned that, oh, I wish I, had that. I, wish I drove their car. We have all those things going on. But there's a battle going on. We know it. We are fully aware of what is taking place in this. So, we are strangers, we're aliens, we're pilgrims, we're sojourners, and we should miss our heavenly home. There should be some kind of a longing because this world is going downhill very fast. Here's the last one here. Well, maybe close to the last. Is your Christian life perfunctory? In other words, you're just going through the motions. You know you're supposed to come to church or give some money or pray at meals, but there's no life. It's just going through the motions. It's just what you're supposed to do. These, all these are tests. They're milestones. And all that God is revealing to us is saying, this is what your Christian life ought to look like. They're not, every, not everybody's going to be the same. There's no recorded sin in Daniel's life. There's no recorded sin in Joseph's life. Joseph flees from an immoral woman, and King David goes after a woman and kills her husband and lies and deceives and cheats. David was a mess. But he was a man after God's own heart because he picked himself up by the power and strength of God's grace and kept pursuing the things of God, which was an indication he was genuinely a true believer. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter into the kingdom of heaven, but those that do the will of my Father. That's the out flow of being in the kingdom. Here's something else that I think is really important for you to understand. Every single pastor in this church, whether it's Chase or whether it's Jason or Jeff or whoever the pastor might be, Patrick, all the different campuses. Hebrews 11, Hebrews 13 says this, that we must give an account for your soul. I have to give an account for your soul. I don't want to stand before the Lord and have the Lord say to me, Mike, you didn't make it clear. You didn't state the hard thing about 
what is necessary for a life that is truly in the kingdom of God. You backed away, and thus many perished. I've sat and watched Jeff literally grieve over lost souls. Because I meet with Jeff every week. It, 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 sometimes I see Jeff just in such distress over wanting people to come to Christ, his great love for the Lord. And when I think of that, I, I, I think of, of this, th th this weight that says, I have to give an account. Even though I don't speak here every week, I do a few times a year, and I'm still responsible for what I say from the pulpit, give an account. Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. That certainly applies here about not understanding the lordship of Christ. Narrow is the way, and few there be that find it. Broad is the way that leads to destruction. Um, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The question is, will you bow now or when it's too late? If you're watching online, if you're an agnostic, if you're an atheist, and you're just checking the tires on Christianity, if you're here, whatever it happens to be, or you've come to realize, I don't think I passed this test. I've been convinced I was a believer, but in reality, nothing has changed in my life. I have no real desire for spiritual things at all. I'm just going through the motions. Your knee will bow. Your tongue will confess. And you better do it now before it's too late. Let me give you one more thing to think about. I'd like you to take your Bibles and turn to 2 Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, 2 Peter. 2 Peter. I'm going to read something to you that I find fascinating. And we'll come to a close here. Second Peter, we read this. It says of Lot, and Lot was Abraham's nephew, all right? Lot was not what you would call a really solid believer. He was uh, very carnal in many respects, but I think things must have changed later on to some degree that are not recorded because they're recorded in the New Testament. But Lot pitched his tent towards Sodom. He moved into Sodom. He saw what was taking place in Sodom. The United States right now is way beyond Sodom. So I want you to just take a look, and if you have a chance, go back and read this chapter. It describes where the world is today in the United States. But I just want you to notice this. Verse 6 of 2 Peter chapter 2. If he condemned the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah by burning them to ashes and made them an example of what is going to happen to the ungodly, and if he rescued Lot, a righteous man, he didn't have his righteousness, it's God's righteousness. Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. When you and I believe in Christ, it is accounted, it is placed to our account as righteousness. Lot was a believer. He was distressed by the filthy lives and lawlessness of men. For that righteous man living among them from day to day was tormented in his righteous soul by the lawless deeds he saw and heard. So apparently a righteous soul is tormented 
by seeing immorality. It doesn't mean you focus on it. It doesn't mean you spend time in it. It doesn't mean you study it every day. But it means when you hear about it, your righteous soul, your born-again soul, is distressed by what you see. Are you distressed by what you see? We don't have to focus on it. We ought to be distressed because these people so desperately need the gospel. This nation so desperately needs the gospel. Our government so desperately needs the gospel. And I just wish I had one chance to preach at a joint session of Congress. Probably not going to happen, but uh, looking forward to the possibility that it could. <laughs> the point in all of this is, again, we're not looking for perfection. We're looking for direction in your life, in my life. There is a standard in Scripture. It's a very clear standard. When Paul starts out in this section, he says, my heart's desire and prayer is that Israel might be saved. They're going about through their knowledge, but a, not a knowledge according to understanding the gospel. Their knowledge was in trying to keep the law. They did not understand that the righteousness that they needed was in Christ. And so many religious people think that it's their righteousness that will get them in. Listen ever so carefully. Your righteousness counts for zero. Nothing. Because it's tainted. The law says I'm to keep the law perfectly or I cannot enter into the kingdom of heaven. That's the standard. I have to keep the law perfectly in order to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Because if I can keep the law perfectly, I will be a righteous person, even from my own doing, if it were possible. But I can't. So God sent his son into this world who would keep the law, the standard, the perfect standard. And so when Jesus kept that law perfectly, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ as my Savior, as my Lord, when I do that, he takes the perfection that that law demands and he places it to my account. Suppose you called your bank and you said, I just want to check and see how my account's doing. And they said, you have a million dollars in your checking account. Oh, no, I don't have a million dollars in the checking account. I've, I've got $8.38. No, you have a million dollars. I know you've got it all wrong. We don't have it wrong. We don't make mistakes. We're the bank. We have to balance everything out at the end of the day, and you have a million dollars. Are you going to believe your account of your account or the bank's account of your account? Are you going to believe your account of how good you are or the account that God says you must be as perfect as Christ himself? And he gives you that perfection. So if you're watching online, you're here today, you're an unbeliever or a professing believer, and you did not pass the test, but you recognize that you are a believer, and you know you passed the test, you're more secure, I hope, today than you've ever been. I want every professing believer that didn't pass today, you know there's no real desire, no real heart, and every unbeliever to confess Jesus as Lord. For every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord 
And today is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the privilege to preach the gospel. I pray, Father, there wouldn't be one person watching online or here today that does not leave here with the absolute assurance that they are in Christ. I pray they would wipe away any thoughts that their human goodness would help them because no human goodness will be allowed into the kingdom of God, only the righteousness of Christ. And so, Father, I pray that you would accomplish what you want to accomplish through the power of your word. We'll give you all the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast. Share this episode with friends and family in your life. Make sure you subscribe to be notified so you never miss a sermon. If you are interested in learning more about Rolling Hills, download our Rolling Hills app, follow us on social media, or visit our website at rollinghills.church. The Rolling Hills Sermon Podcast is a part of the Rolling Hills Podcast Network, available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.